morning. Good to see all of you today. The psalmist says, I, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Um, there may be some weeks where I feel like I'm not ready for church. I'm like, Lord, give me a few more days before Sunday gets here. And there are other days, other weeks, where I'm like, Lord, Sunday can't get here quickly enough. And, um, but Sunday always comes. And uh, the Lord always is good to give us this time to be together, to call us to assemble around our Savior Jesus Christ, to declare His praises, to honor His name, to give Him glory. That's why we're here today. If you're visiting with us, I hope you'll take a moment, if you haven't already, to scan the QR code in the bulletin. If you're online, it's on the screen. You'll scan that. It'll open a digital bulletin. You can go scroll down to the bottom and fill out a connection card. We just want to know that you were here with us. I promise not to harass you. Just want to know that you're with us. Uh, a few announcements to make. Uh, first of all, tonight at 6.30, we're going to have David and Vanessa. They are IMB missionaries from Central Asia. They will be with us tonight to give a missionary presentation about the work of God in Central Asia. We're not going to be able to live stream it. We can't record it uh, because they're, they, they're, they're not supposed to talk about where they work. Uh, they use special code words for different things. And so we need to make sure and respect that. So if you want to uh, participate in that, you're going to have to come and watch them live. So I hope you're able to come. A few other announcements to make. Poinsettias can be purchased in memory of loved ones for $10. And if you want to do that, uh, just talk to Marsha. I also want to say thank you to all the Santa's helpers for helping out with our kids this year. Uh, Every child has been taken care of. All the packages have been delivered. Um, Also... If you'd be willing, I need a couple more uh, candle lighters uh, for our Advent observances. So if you're willing to do that, please please talk to me. Uh, then also to let you know, next weekend uh, we have Christmas Eve on Saturday. So we will have at 6 p.m. Um, our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Hope you can make that. Invite friends, family. If you have folks in town, it's a festive time. Come and join and, and do that. Also then on Sunday morning... Excuse me, we will have our normal morning service. So uh, 10 o'clock Sunday school, 11 o'clock worship. And finally, at least I think this is finally, um, our beloved friend James Sturgeon, you know, he resigned a few weeks back. And the way that it all went down, he didn't, I couldn't let you guys know ahead of time that he was going to be uh, stepping down as our minister of music. And so we didn't have an opportunity to bless James. And so in the back, there is the gold box. And uh, at the last business meeting, last Sunday night, our church said one thing we're going to do is we're going to pay him like he was here for a Sunday. Uh, And then on top of that, we will add to that uh, by putting out the gold box. So if you'd like to bless James Sturgeon uh, for his time of ministry here at our church, then you're able to do that. Um, hope you're able to, to do that and, and uh, just bless James in that way. Are there any other announcements that need to be made right now? Before we go to our uh, lighting Advent candles, Colt's going to come and light the Advent candles for us. I just want to remind you that this time of year is such a special time and that people are open to talk about religious and spiritual things. And so I want to encourage you to uh, invite folks to come to church, come to the Christmas Eve candlelight service, to come next Sunday morning, bring your family. Uh, It might give you an opportunity around uh, the table or whatever else in order to have some of these conversations. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, But we're now going to light our Advent candles. And we light an Advent candle each Sunday leading up to Christmas. Colt brought his helper. Before we get into that, there's one thing, you go ahead and you can light those candles. We have, it seems a little fuller in here this morning. I'm so grateful, Candace, that you're back with us today. Amen. Candace and Claudia are here uh, today. Uh, if you don't know this story, uh, Ken went on uh, a walking tour of the Holy Land um, a few years back and he met Claudia. Claudia's a nurse. And little did we know what God was doing at that time. You know, Candace had a schwannoma removed from her brain. 
and so has been on the road to recovery and is gaining autonomy all the time. And Claudia has been such a blessing to her. She has been able to stay with her and help take care of her. And so we, we praise God uh, that, Candace, you're here with us today and that you've made uh, such a great recovery. We pray that you continue to recover uh, even more. And we're thankful for what God has, how God has blessed you through Claudia. All right, now we get to Advent. We light an Advent candle each Sunday leading up to Christmas to prepare our hearts by renewing our hope. That's the first candle. Growing our love, that's the second candle. Experiencing joy, that's the third candle in Christ. And finding peace, and that's the fourth candle. Peace with God is an objective peace. It doesn't come from within ourselves. It's not something we obtain. It's something we are freely given. It is a gift from God, a gift given to us by Jesus Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And when we repent and trust in Him, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to save us. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that should have been ours. He made peace with God for us. And He gives us that peace with God in our salvation. This peace is a fact, not a feeling. It is finished. And it never changes or diminishes. Let's read this together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace of God is a subjective peace. We have it when we experience the peace that comes through trusting Jesus. This peace is also given to us by God and it produces in us a feeling of well-being. Having peace with God We know that we have the Holy Spirit and that Jesus' grace is sufficient in all things. Therefore, when we keep our eyes on Jesus and rightly remember who He is, what He has done for us, and who we are in Him, we experience the calm and peace of resting in Him. That is how we receive the peace of God. But sadly, when we allow anxiety and fear to set in, our peace dwindles and our joy is diminished. The Apostle Paul warns us against such worry. And he tells us that with thanksgiving we are to come to God. We are to remember all that God has given us and give Him thanks. Then we find rest in Jesus and experience the peace of God. Let's read this together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we read the account of the angels announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds, we read that they proclaimed, praised God by proclaiming, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The angels proclaimed peace, but not a condition on, of peace on earth, as some say. They proclaimed that on earth there was peace, and that peace was Jesus born in Bethlehem. They also proclaimed that on earth there was goodwill, that's the King James, toward man, and that Jesus was that goodwill. His entering into our world was the greatest expression of God's goodwill toward us. Jesus' birth brought us peace because He is peace. His presence was on earth peace, but not peace on earth. There there was much unrest during Jesus' earthly life. Throughout the centuries, there's never been peace on earth, or at least not since the garden. But there is on earth peace. Because Jesus is dwelling in the soul of every born-again believer through the power of His Holy Spirit. Jesus is our peace on this earth. And for all eternity, He opened the way to peace with God, and He desires that you receive the peace of God. Let's read this together. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's stand and worship together.
We're still emphasizing uh, the, the work of God abroad through the International Mission Board, that arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, you know, we give every, every Sunday when we give, we give to the International Mission Board. I don't know if you know that. Um, five percent, a certain percentage of our undesignated receipts every Sunday morning are sent on to the cooperative program, sent on to the state, and then from the state they go to the national level, and it supports the ongoing efforts of the ongoing operations of the IMB. But when we come to this time of year, uh, we, we give to missions alone. Uh, you might think, well, we're already giving to missions. Now, 100% of what we give in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to missions work. It's not operating costs. It's not printing. It's not anything like that. Completely to missions. So that's why, as a church, we've always set our goal high. Our, our goal is $6,500. We've already had $4,000 given to date. So if you haven't had a chance to give, there's plenty of time to give. And uh, I want you to be encouraged this morning by watching another video that's going to show us how uh, our prayers and our giving go toward the work of the gospel abroad. I never dreamed to go to another city. I never dreamed to go to another country. I never dreamed to learn to talk another language. But God made possible. When I was 11 years old, my family was very poor. I used to work in the street selling, selling things. One day, my dad took my money because he was alcoholic. He had three more families. So I made my own prayer. I said to God, you want to be my father? I need you here. I need you here. I had a trouble in my teens because of my family, and I ran away from home. And uh, we had a program with the IMB missionaries running the call, Tele Amigo. So I went to that place because I had trouble on myself. I want to kill myself. And they really gave me all the support and prayer for me. I met a missionary called Barbara Rivers. She was putting some pictures and video of the five American missionaries where they were killed in Ecuador by the Indians in the jungle. When I saw the picture and the face of the missionaries, I started crying. And I said to Lord, I do nothing. I'm only going to church. And these people came far away from their own country and died because of love of our people. So and they said to the Lord, here I am. I want to be a missionary. Missionaries like Barbara Rivers, I was a model, a very real model. I learned how to go places where there's nothing and start something. So I realized not only in Ecuador I need to be saved, but everywhere. So I began praying for India. I was the first Latino to go. I went for 12 years. One thing God told me to preach the gospel, not to be locked in my house. If I want to be locked in my house, I stay in my country. I came back from India. The IMB missionary received me, Guy Mills and Linda, and a friend from Guatemala. He told me, the Lord take you back to Latin America to not be just one Julieta, sino hundreds of Julietas. Send Latinos to the nations. And after that, starting Impacto Mundial. We do mobilization, training, and sending missionaries to the nations. I believe we are global Christians. Jesus told us to go to the nations, to preach to everyone and everywhere and every time. My dream is to see every church be mobilized to become a missionary church. It's my dream. This morning I'll be reading from Luke 2, 11, that's not right, 57 through 79. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But the mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name... 
is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosened, and spoke, blessing God. And fear came from came on all the neighbors, and all the things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he was visited and redeemed in his people, and has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved for our enemy, from our enemies and for the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Thereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give life to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. We have our ushers come forward at this time. Father, we thank you uh, again for giving us Christ. What a great gift uh, he is to us. We pray, God, that um, because you've given so generously to us, that we will give generously in return. We praise you and we, we thank you. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen.
Amen. Would you please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians, the second chapter of Ephesians. We're almost through our Advent series on the names of Christ as they are given to us in Isaiah chapter 9, verses, verse 6. Um, next Sunday, um, the name that we will... His name shall be called Jesus or Emmanuel. You don't find that in Isaiah chapter 9, but uh, it's kind of in a unique near, year where um, everything falls on Sunday where I can preach five kind of Advent sermons, and so I'm excited about that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. Turn to the back, find page 151. You'll be in Ephesians 2. Uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and this is God's word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also also are being dwelt built. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, open our eyes. We want to see the peace of Christ. We want to see the Prince of Peace this morning in these verses. Lord, knowing that if there is one thing that our world needs right now, it's peace. And so we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to know the peace of Christ, may they come to know the Christ of peace. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to remind us of where this sermon series is coming from, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I'll read it to us again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this verse where it says, To us a son is given, this is a prophecy. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the God-man. Calls His name Wonderful Counselor. We're told that Christ is the wisdom of God. Therefore, He's the Wonderful Counselor. Christ is also named Mighty God. And he is mighty God by virtue of his position, his power, and his person. Last week, we looked at Christ as everlasting father. He is the promised Messiah, reigning eternally on the throne of David, providing fatherly care to all of his people. Then in verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is described or named in verse 6 as Prince of Peace. And verse 7 says, of his peace there will be no end. In fact, it says it will increase. Christ as Prince of Peace, by calling him that, saying he is a prince who brings peace. He's a prince who maintains peace. He will be able to establish his kingdom, which will be founded upon peace. There will be no end to the increase of that peace. 
He will be able to uphold it with justice and righteousness. And his zeal is behind it. His reign will be characterized by peace. And so this morning, as we consider Christ as Prince of Peace, I couldn't think of a better text to spotlight Jesus' work as our Prince of Peace. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it divides into two sections. And I think both of them can be summarized with this phrase. You were, but. You were, but. Now, the you in this sentence is talking about Gentile Christians in Ephesus. By saying were, it's saying this, this was your past condition. This was your past state of being. But it's not your present state of being because, and here's where the but comes in, but something remarkable happened. He fleshed this out a bit further. This applies to all of us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look in verse 1. That's exactly what chapter 2, verse 1 says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, and on into verse 2, in which you once walked. Now Paul goes on to describe what spiritual death looks like. He says, and I'm, and I'm restating, um, I think, the three points that Paul makes. He says, you are in a sinful world and under its control. Verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, you live in a world that's under the control of someone else and it controlled you. Not only that, sin is in you and it controls you. Notice how it says in verse 3, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You'd think people might say, you know, I just want to get in control of myself. And Paul says, you carried out whatever your body desired, whatever passion there was. Sin was in you and it controlled you. That's two strikes. In a sinful world under its control, sin is in you, you are under its control. The third strike is in verse 3. Among, I'm sorry, verse 4. No, it is in verse 3. I'll get settled in in a minute. And were by nature children of wrath. Paul was saying, let's say that you decided you wanted to get out of the sinful world. Get away from all of its influences, all of the forces that come to bear on trying to... to to press you into its mold. You say, I'm going to get out away from that. Okay, let's say you could. And let's say that you wanted to do everything possible to make yourself into a, an upright and moral person. Paul says, you're still, by nature, a sinner and deserving of wrath. That's strike three. So that's why Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But... But God, and I'm jumping down to verse 4, God made you alive, and that's in verse 5 too, God made you alive together with Christ. How did he make you alive? Verse 5, you're, by grace you have been saved. Didn't earn it, couldn't have in a thousand lifetimes. God gifted you salvation. In order to receive that salvation, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You receive it by faith. And on account of this, verse 6, you're raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. And verse 10, you are a new creation, a piece of workmanship, Christ's poem, His work. He created you for good works. That's verses 1 through 10 in a nutshell. Verses 11 to 22, you could say it this way. You once were far off, but now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. Now, in order to understand that a little bit more, you have to understand the enmity between Jew and Gentile. The ones who were far off, this is talking about Gentile Christians. And there were those in Ephesus. Ephesus was a Gentile city. And so they once were far off. But now in Christ Jesus, they have been brought near. That'll be fleshed out more in a bit. I want to restate what this says on the screen to help us kind of plug into these verses a little more. Once you were a people at enmity, 
But now you are a people at peace. You know, you could actually say this is a summary of all of chapter 2. You once were at enmity with God, but now you are at peace with God. You once were a people at enmity, again, talking about these Gentile Christians. You once were a people who were at enmity with the Jews. There was no love lost between the two. It's like the Indians and the visitors. Some of you don't get that. You have to go to a football game to get that. But I think this is a way to summarize chapter 2. Once there was enmity, now there's peace. Enmity, it's the word from which we get the word enemy. Enmity, enemy. Enmity is characterized by two things, hostility and separation. Now let's turn to this morning's text. Look at verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now what Paul is getting at is is there was some nastiness between Jew and Gentile. Jews would actually look down their nose at their their, Gentile people around them and, and call them snarky names. You uncircumcised folks. And the snarkiness was due in part to the fact that there was social separation. But not only was there social separation between Jew and Gentile, there is a separation that comes, an additional separation, because of the separation of these two groups. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So let's put this together. Israel was to be God's way of making himself known and drawing people to himself. Israel was supposed to be God's glorified people. But now there was division between Jew and Gentile. There's snarkiness, there's nastiness, there's hostility, there's enmity. And so because of that, not only is there separation between the two groups, but the group that's supposed to be able to guide the other toward how to to be saved, they're cut off from them. They're Basically, they're cut off from salvation. So there's no way for these Ephesian Gentiles to deal with, first of all, their sinful condition. They can't come to a personal peace. Where they're, where they're put back together. All the sinful brokenness in their life. Now they, they have no way to deal with that. They're cut off from salvation. No one's going to tell them. They also have no way of dealing with the enmity between themselves and God. There's no way for them to have this interpersonal peace between themselves and God. And there's no way for them to deal with the enmity between them, these Gentile Christians, and Jews, or I'm sorry, between Jew and Gentile. And because of this enmity, he says, you, have no, you had at one time no hope and you were without God in the world. I'm going to show you what verse 11 says in the New Living Translation. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Now, the last part you see is highlighted there. And I did that for a reason. It's because the enmity that was between these two people is a sin issue. And an issue of sin can never be resolved according to the flesh. Not according to human means. No biblical peace can ever be achieved in the flesh. The Gentiles couldn't have heard this and and expected a real biblical peace if you had only become a Jew. That would not have produced real biblical peace because they would have been still in their sins. Now peace... Peace is characterized by wholeness and harmony. There's a Hebrew word that sums up what peace is. It's shalom. 
And, and really, if you want to understand peace, it's, it's less about the absence of conflict, although that is an aspect of it. It's more about wholeness, that, that you're, you're fully human. And it's also harmony. We think about, and I'm going to start a sermon series on this in the new year. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Harmony. Wholeness. So there's personal shalom. You know, where I want to, in myself, be, be whole. And I want to be unified. Love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then there's also interpersonal shalom. Where you have to be at peace with God. Again, we're talking about the, the, the candle of peace today. There's peace with God. There's peace of God, but this shalom we're talking about is peace with God. And then there's peace with others. So when we're talking about biblical peace, we're talking about the personal peace you experience by being a child of God filled with His Spirit. And then also the peace that you experience between you and God knowing that your sins have been dealt with. And then the the peace that you experience between believers... And this is what is gloriously on display in in verses 11 to 22. I want to tell you this. Only the atonement of Christ can extinguish enmity and produce peace. Now you might be thinking, this came out of nowhere. Where does atonement come from? Look at verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood. What Paul's referring to here is an atoning sacrifice. When a person made a a sacrifice, the sacrifice was made and it atoned for sin, it did two things. It extinguished the enmity between God and that person because the sin had been dealt with. There's There's no reason for enmity. It's gone. But it's not just an absence of enmity. It was the producing of peace. And again, when you are right with God, when you have peace with God and the peace of God, then, then, then you have a fully orbed, a, a whole peace. Now, I'll, I, I, you might remember this when we went through Leviticus. That was a while ago. But when you think of the word atonement, I want you to think of this. At one meant. At one meant. Now, what, what does that mean? It means that where there was separation, now there's oneness. Two who used to be separated, apart, hostile, are now at one. And it is the atonement that produces this at one meant. And we're going to focus here on Christ's work of atonement or at one meant. The first one is, he shed his blood. We already read about this in verse 13. This is where hope for peace begins. Now I'm going to stop here for just a moment and say, when I'm talking about peace, I want you to imagine, we have the hardest time, I think, imagining how, how hostile Jews and Gentiles viewed each other. I mean, it was... It was Bad hostility. And the reason I bring that up is because think about the situation in your life or those around you and you think, I don't know that there could ever be peace in that situation if we only understood how rough it was between the Jews and the Gentiles, then we would say, if God can do that in them, he can do that, produce peace in me. And it has to start where he starts, not in our flesh, but in his flesh, not in our works, but in his work. This is where it starts. But Christ's work of at one includes him conquering division. Look at verses 13 to 15. Again, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, there's division, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in his flesh. And this wall that they're, they're talking about, first it's referring to the Mosaic law, the holiness codes. Now there was a barrier both literally and spiritually. In Jerusalem, in the temple proper, there was a stone on the wall right there in the court of the Gentiles. And that wall, that, that stone wall had an inscription in Greek and Latin, and it said, No one of another nation is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple, and whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. So there was real hostility. If someone who was not a Jew walked into the temple, uh, then they would have been killed. So that wall had to come down. But in order for that particular dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, in order for it to come down, two things had to happen. One, the old hostility had to go. And two, I'm sorry, and, and, and that old hostility had to be replaced, listen to this, by a sense of fellowship. It wasn't just that the enmity had to go. There had to be something that replaced it. And that, that was going to replace it was the sense of fellowship. And the second thing that had to be dealt with was the law of commandments and ordinances had to be abolished. Now that word means nullified, made of no effect. It's no good anymore. So there were detailed ordinances, ceremonies, regulations about clean and unclean. And there was a barrier that caused enmity between Jews and Gentiles. But then everyone had broken the moral law. And so when it says that Christ abolished, again, he made the law of no effect. He proved that salvation is not from the law, but it comes through him. That's why Paul says, he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And that also explains how those who are far off have been brought near. He made Jew and Gentile both one. That is remarkable. Not only that, his work of at one man created a new people of them. Last part of verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Only God can create. And notice it says, so he can create in himself, by himself, alone. Not with our help, he did it. He did it through himself, through his work. And he created something New. Now, this word for new is the Greek word kainos, and it means something previously unknown or unheard of. And, and that would have been true about Jew and Gentiles coming together in the church and fellowshipping with one another. People would have said, We have never heard of such before. This is remarkable. And that's why here, peace means that enmity is replaced by fellowship. Christ's work of at one minute, he also reconciled them to God, verse 16, and might reconcile, who, who were former enemies are now friends, might reconcile us both to the cross in one body, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Reconcile us both to God in one body, not Jews, not Gentiles, but Christians, redeemed, saints, no division or enmity, no levels of, of Christian. You know, Jewish Christians are a little bit higher, you know, because they're the people of God. No, no. And he did it through the cross. Christ reconciled them through the cross. The penalty for sin was paid at the cross. The power of sin was broken through the cross. The law was nullified at the cross, so there is no more hostility. Former enemies can be friends. Christ's work of atonement, he preached peace to them. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Christ, through his prophets and apostles, through his people, preached the good news that those who are far off can be brought near. Those who are at enmity with God can have peace. Christ's work of it one man also included him making God accessible to them, this one new man, both through the Spirit. Verse 18. 
For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. I want you to notice in this verse, there's some of the, it's one of the richest, I think, descriptions of real unity in all of Scripture. Look, you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you have Jew and Gentile. For in Him, through Him, Christ, we, Jew and Gentile, both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is amazing unity in place of what used to be horrible enmity. Christ's work of atonement included Him making one nation and family out of them. Look at verse 19. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens and saints, with the saints and members of the household of God. They're, they're a new nation. They're all fellow citizens together of one kingdom. They're family. They're all members of the household of God. They are at one. And Christ's work of atonement. He includes him laying the foundation for lasting peace. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. When it says that they are being built on the foundation, what he's saying there is that they are being taught the teaching of the New Testament apostles and prophets, and it is connecting them to Christ organically. And and Christ himself is the cornerstone. It's the most important piece of the whole foundation. Christ, as the cornerstone, must be the center of the church's teaching ministry for Christ alone produces lasting peace. And then finally, Christ's work of it one man includes him making of them, this one new man, he's making of them a dwelling place for God. Verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's shalom right there. It's shalom. It's peace between Jew and Gentile and peace with God such that God can come and dwell with them. Feel at home with them. Because he's made something new out of them. No longer are they broken. They are whole. Both personally and interpersonally. To where God can come and dwell with them. One of the most remarkable pictures in the Old Testament. Is when the glory of God left the temple. Left the temple. And here is a beautiful picture of the glory of God. Coming and dwelling in the temple of his I think I could also summarize this morning's text in this way. No Christ, no peace. If there is no Christ for you in your life, then there is no peace. You can try all the different ways. You can say, my family is such a mess, but we're going to go to counseling. Well, that's good. That's a great place. That's good. I'm not going to downplay counseling. But you want to know true peace, you have to know Christ. When you think of these insurmountable obstacles that Christ removed, enmity with God and enmity between Jew and Gentile, then it ought to, it ought to follow that if we want to truly have peace, we must know Christ. If there's any of you here today that you know your life is a mess, Don't start with, I want to get my life back together and then we'll go from there. Don't do that. That's not a lasting foundation. The lasting foundation for you to have peace is first to come to God through Christ and receive the peace that can be yours because of the salvation Christ made possible on the cross. And once you're at peace with God, then other things can start to fall into place. I'm not telling you your life is going to be perfect, but if God can take two people who absolutely hated each other and made something new out of them, He can do the same for you. But you have to come to the Prince of Peace. 
Father, if there are any here today that don't know the Prince of Peace, we pray today would be the day. For those who are searching for peace in their lives, may their search stop this morning. May they realize that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and nowhere else could they go to find the peace that Christ alone can give. Lord, do the work in hearts that only you can do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. I want to have a time of, of response. If there's any sort of decision you need to make, if you need to come and pray, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this is time for you to respond to what you've heard from the Lord this morning as we sing together. have a time of intercessory prayer, let you know of a few things, uh, updates on the list, things you can be praying for. Um, Addie Webster was able to um, have, to get some treatment, um, and it's supposed to have 58 days worth of, of treatment of chemo, and that sounds perfectly awful, so please pray for that little girl. Um, pray for Barbara Griffin, that is um, Pam Shanklin's mother, um, she is in a nursing home up in the Kansas City area. And she has had a fall and has broken her leg in three places. And so the family's real concerned. She's, what would you say, 92, 92 years old. And so that's a lot to recover from at that time. Um, and so just pray for Barbara and, and the family. Also pray for the Trey Borak family. Um, so Reagan called me last week and said, Dad, can we put somebody on the prayer list? And uh, so her boss's wife, she works at a, at a, a chiropractic clinic. And Brian, her boss's wife, had a friend whose son committed suicide, and that's, that's Trey Borak. So pray for the Trey Borak family. Also pray, you notice on our list, Eileen Schatzman, that is Geneva Braun's sister. Um, she asked that we pray for her last week. Well, she let me know a few days ago that her sister had passed. Uh, she was in her 90s and was up in the Nebraska area in the hospital in critical conditions. So pray for the Eileen Schatzman family. Um, also found out this morning um, that James, help me James, what's, what's James's last name? Beasley, James Beasley um, has been having some, some issues with blood clotting, so pray, pray for James. Um, are there any other updates you might want to pass along before we have a time of intercessory prayer? Brother Shannon? Yes, ma'am. I, I have a couple. Uh, I want to update on my brothers. My two oldest brothers are both fighting uh, stage four uh, lung cancer. Uh, oldest brother Porter goes back to him. He's flying into Houston today, goes back for a test. He's been taking medication, so we're praying for some positive news there. Uh, John, uh, we did find out that his cancer has come back, and it is very aggressive. And uh, he, at this time, is is not ready to take the most aggre- aggressive action uh, at this point. So help pray for us as a family to accept his decision. And then also, we got some shocking news yesterday morning. Uh, one of our cousins, Ron Milliken, is Aunt Ruth's oldest son, uh, passed away Friday night from a, a brain aneurysm. And uh, I don't know the details, but his burial will be at Chapel Cemetery sometime this week. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so Kayla's grandmother is in the hospital on 71 with flu. So, anyone else? Okay, well, let's stand and have a 
brief time of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are so grateful as your people uh, to know that the peace that Christ has produced for us and in us enables us to have access in one spirit to the Father. And we can come to you as one body and say, Lord, our hearts are concerned with those that have been mentioned, those that are on this list. Lord, we pray for James Beasley, uh, that you would bring healing to his body as he uh, struggles with this blood clot issue. Uh, we also pray, Lord, for the Trey Borak family as they're suffering the loss, a tragic loss of their son. And also pray for Addie Webster as she continues to fight cancer. Pray for um, the Burke brothers as they are fighting cancer as well. Pray that you would bring healing to them. Pray for all of those that um, are struggling right now with some sort of medical condition and for their families as they... As they um, support and love them and serve them. We pray for uh, the Eileen Schatzman family, for, for Geneva, as they grieve, that they, Lord, that they would find in you uh, hope and comfort and peace. Lord, for those that um, had something in their heart and mind that went unmentioned, we pray, Lord, that knowing that you know what they need, that you would meet that need in your good grace, uh, according to your will and according to your abundant goodness. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them...